Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. Yo, this beat hurts, but it works, and I've got a heat verse. Yo, it's no joke, even though I'm laughing, smiling, engulfed in orange smoke like Manhattan Island. When I'm rhyming wild, my enemies are helpless. I redefine the game, don't just play the hand we're dealt with. I know you might not hear me, but I know you must have felt this. Speak against the power like my name was Ryan Selkis. Catch me down on Wall Street in Ferragamo kicks. Hit and drop shots, haters better run quick. Y'all don't run ish, yo, the future is distributed. And if you talk slick, yo, you get the drop kick. See me clap back, cop corn on Cash App and a Bitcoin snapback. Ain't nothing to laugh at, so wind up. Yo, we're stepping on the court and your time's up. We ain't playing for sport here on Galaxy Brains. As always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, head of firmwide research at Galaxy Digital. Thank you for listening to Galaxy Brains. We have a great show. Ryan Selkis, CEO, founder of Masari, and now chairman and founder of the Digital Freedom Alliance. He is our guest. Great conversation with Ryan about the current and future state of crypto policy and regulation in the United States. We have a lot that we cover in that conversation. I know you'll like it. And of course, we'll check in with our good friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading, as always, to talk markets and macro. But before we get to all of that, I need to remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer in the podcast notes and note that none of the information contained in this podcast represents an offer, recommendation, solicitation, or investment advice from Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Man, this is a big week and this is a big episode, so let's hop right into it. Let's go now to our friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. As always, welcome to the show, Bim. Thanks for having me. So um, obviously the big stories of this week has been the regulatory uh, actions, the the civil suits brought by the SEC against Coinbase and Binance. So let's just start right there. Um, any impact on markets? Uh, Bitcoin is currently trading at 26,610. It was trading well, basically 27,000 before yeah. the announcement came out. Um, you know, while I think there are very meaningful implications for for the broader industry. Of course, uh, for Bitcoin in particular, I, I don't think there was any implications. Yeah, down a tiny uh, bit, right? I mean, uh, we... d- down a tiny bit, but you know, th- these cases ultimately don't really impact you know things that are commodities specifically that we know Bitcoin. are specifically yeah. commodities. And so, Bitcoin trades well. Anecdotally, most of the you know folks we talk to, um, you know, they were really impressed. By the fact that Bitcoin held up so well, yeah, and like the macro types we talk through, there's generally like a sort of an apathetic sort of kind of view um, about it. Most folks have a bag; they've properly sized it in their portfolio, given you know the the volatility, um, you know, and then nobody's scrambling to add more, but nobody's like trying to sell either. Yeah, and so that's why you know Bitcoin has just kind of hovered where where it's been hovering, you know, for for the past like. Yep. several months um and so you know i think it's quite healthy to see you know a, a very resilient asset like this it's still up you know more than 50 percent on the year uh still one of the best performing asset classes it's liquid um it's legal uh, <laughs> yeah and so you know there's a lot of you know po- positive cross currents for, for for bitcoin in addition you know you've definitely seen some uh, selling of of alts, uh, particularly those named in 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 the suits. Um, and generally speaking, when you have a, a risk off move in crypto, um, folks you know sell alts and rotate into into Bitcoin. When folks are worried about uh, balances on exchange or 
um, et cetera. Again, it's Bitcoin into cold storage. Yep. And so, you know, Bitcoin definitely benefits from a uh, flight to quality phenomenon in crypto on, on a relative basis. And so I think that partially explains, you know, some of the resilience behind it. In addition, um, it's really a market that trades at max pain right now. And so, you know, folks that short at bad levels, nine times out of 10 will get squeezed. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, that might have to do with how the market makers operate and, or whatever. But um, it, do, it is a market that, that kind of does trade to, to max pain. In addition, you just kind of think about, you know, the, this asset, you know, over Memorial Day weekend, you basically went up to 28,500 from like, you know, similar levels to now. Yeah, for no real uh, for reason. For no just, real reason. Just just, it was just like a short squeeze. Yeah. And so, you know, I think this is um, an asset class that's probably likely going to remain relatively range bound. Uh, basically everything has been thrown at Bitcoin, you know, collapses of three arrows, FTX. Now you got, you know, the regulatory stuff, the cases, uh, you know, 500 plus basis points of hiking, you know, domestically and all tight financial conditions everywhere around the globe, et cetera. And this thing is still holding up really well. And I think, you know, taking a step back, I think that bodes well for, for the long run future of, of this of, of this asset and the asset class in, in yep. general. The fact that it's holding up so well in the context of the world's most important government and regulatory agency kind of, you know, clamping down on things. And so um, I'm optimistic. In addition, you know, I do think that the macro will eventually um, start to be supportive of, of things like, you know, Bitcoin and precious metals and hedges against monetary debasement. Yep. You know, to be honest, I thought the biggest news over the past month was the fact that we raised the debt ceiling indefinitely, well, uh, to a specific time, but no cap in theory. Mm -hmm. um, and we are going to spend money recklessly without abandon, you know, for the next <laughs> couple of years. And, you know, so is every other, you know, G10 economy. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the the, mo the monetary argument, like it becomes apparent every day. It's like it's like one of those things where it's like, wait, our debt goes up every day and it's like we got to pay interest on it and your ability to pay back that that reduces every single day every day bitcoins around more credible more more participants more adoption and so it's one of those things that you just you know just need to give it time and uh yeah i mean i wish i could fast forward four years and you know, tell you where Bitcoin is going to be. But I feel pretty confident in saying that, you know, it'll be around. There'll mm -hmm. be tons of folks uh, transacting in it in novel ways, potentially, you know, ordinals, what, whatever it may be. Uh, but the monetary argument is only going to have gotten much, much stronger in four years time. Love I can that. tell you that for sure. Um, that was great. Uh, love the overview, Bim. And I, t I totally agree. L let me let me just shift gears. We'll do just no, one little question here, though. It's not a little question. But before we wrap, because, um, you know, sort of in our long line of periodic things that I've asked Bimnet Abibi about, mm -hmm. as I'm learning macro myself, one was that I saw Balaji Srinivasan, um, who is the former CTO at Coinbase separately and, you know, a, an entrepreneur. Um, and he he's also the guy, right? He had the uh, what one one million dollar call price mm -hmm. call, which of course didn't happen for Bitcoin. Um, or really he doesn't know how to price options. Yeah, exactly. But he <laughs> he tweeted a chart that I believe that what the chart said was that it has been fourteen consecutive months in a row where non farm payrolls have um, come in have beaten expectations or not beaten. One which of, have beaten have beaten expectations, and that's like by far the longest streak ever. And essentially was suggesting that the BLS data is 
raw, fake or manipulated. Yeah. People have said that in the past. I found a tweet from 2011 where Jack Welch, the former CEO of General Motors or GE, whichever, the owner of GM or whatever, Jack yeah. Welch, famous corporate guy, he said the same thing about the BLS data back then. Is that possible? Um, I will say one, um, more and more serious folks that have looked at this data for you know decades uh, are highlighting that there there's some abnormalities for yeah. sure there's some things that stick out and 14 months of consecutive upward uh beats is very surprising um however uh it's not in the context of like what we know about the labor market it is really hot right um so like the broad trend is like you no, wouldn't it's, disagree it's, with it's that. accurate yeah. and so you know one i'd like to stress that uh non-farm payrolls is one piece of the data right there are tons of other data pieces to properly contextualize the the U.S. labor market. You know, uh, the ADP uh, payroll data right. that is you know a private uh, data series that b produced by you know one of the largest payroll processing companies, right? Still supports you know these massive job gains. Right. Like there's you know they're saying they're adding like hundreds of thousands of jobs as well. Um, and, you know, sort of like the employment components of, of PMIs and all of these surveys and, you know, uh, NFIB data, um, et cetera. Like, and you can see it in high frequency data too, like, like MTA travel and like, you know, right. like in Memorial Day, you had more planes in the sky than ever. Yeah. Right. And so there are ways to properly contextualize the data. With that being said, this data smells funky. For someone, sure, something wrong with and, that BLS data, and and one but it's of the, directionally one of, telling you the same thing all the other trustworthy data yeah, is saying. To your yeah, point. No, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, the other, the weird part about this though is like for the past two months you've had a we, uh, a very high adjustment in this thing known as like death birth uh, component, which is like, uh, I, I believe estimates like how many like net new jobs were created as a function of like a business starting versus like a business going at out of business mm -hmm. and so like there are weird things like that in the data that have thrown it off um you know for the past couple of months and so yeah like i'm like looking at it with a grain of salt and i think a lot of serious people are looking at it with, with a grain of salt mm -hmm. um However, it's just important to stress that it's not our only measure. Yeah. And realistically, it's not even uh, it's not the main priority for the central bank right now. Right. It, the central priority is inflation, getting inflation down. Yeah. And on Tuesday, you've got core CPI that's expected to print at 0.4 month on month. You've had the Royal Bank, the RBA, uh, the Bank of Canada surprise hike over the past week. Right. Because inflation's been too high and data has been, you know, too, too strong in, in general. And so you're dealing with a Fed that has really no choice but to keep going until prices come down. Um, however, I do think that the committee is as split as they've ever been um, in, in this hiking cycle. There are more divergent opinions. Mm -hmm. um, in addition, I do think that there are, there are pockets of weak data that are now starting to uh, sort of materialize. In addition, um, I think the supply outlook for for Treasuries is is going to be a much more important factor, um, especially um, you know over the next three to four months as as you know the t the Treasuries general account builds. Mm. Um, but high level, like we're going to need to fund a lot of U.S. debt, and 
that money has to come from somewhere. It's either RRP or, or, or bank reserves. Yep. And most likely, gonna a lot of it's going to come from from bank reserves. A decent amount will come from RRP. Uh, but that's going to be a liquidity drain on the market. And there's going to be a ha- there's going to have to be a lot of treasury supply that gets absorbed by the market. And you're going to take reserves down in, in the broader market to very like tight levels. Yep. Um, and eventually, that's going to catch up to the Fed. And I think they're thinking about it now um, as to, you know, when they might have to ultimately stop doing QT and not yep. necessarily do QE, but at least, but at least stop, the, stop the tightening, they, stop, stop the tightening, et cetera, yeah. when, you know, they'll have a serious issue with banks and they'll have to, you know, try to re-steepen the yield curve, et cetera. And so the Fed's got visibility into that. However, the data, especially the price data, has just been so strong recently yeah. that it's just... It's tough to even want to think about that. People are going to go out and spend money over the summer, too, right? People want to get outside and spend money, go to baseball games and whatnot, buy hot dogs, whatever Americans do, right? You know, I hate hot dogs, and I think baseball is boring, but... You're probably going to spend some money this things. summer? Yeah, yeah I'm ready. I'm exactly. ready to hit the beach. Yeah, let's you know? go. Hey, Bimnet BB from Galaxy Trading, my friend, as always. Great to see you. Pleasure. Let's go to our guest, Ryan Selkis, CEO, founder of Masari, one of the uh, oldest and biggest data and research companies in crypto. Ryan, thank you so much for joining Galaxy Brands. Thank you, and thank you for the uh, the rap intro. Yeah, dude. I feel it, cool. That's, that's a banger. Um, so been wanting to talk to you, Ryan, for a while. I've, you know, I followed and, and we've known each other for a fair amount of time, but things have really gotten interesting. You've become very vocal on regulation sort of as the regulatory screws have been being tightened by various agencies and stuff over the last year in, or so in particular. Um, we're going to get into all of that. Along those lines, though, you just announced this week the launch of a new nonprofit, the Digital Freedom Alliance. You are uh, founder and chairman of this uh, of the DFA. Tell us what that is. In short, it's a grassroots advocacy group uh, to basically work on messaging, uh, activation, and narrative development for the industry. We really lack a PR or marketing apparatus uh, for the space. And, and, and one of the reasons is, is a decentralized community, it's, it's tough to yeah. have a single standard bearer or a single narrative, but there are some common threads that I think uh, the entire community holds as core values that uh, we really just do a poor job of communicating, particularly to DC. Yeah. So um, we're really focused on uh, resetting the narrative uh, in DC on crypto, what it's used for, what its potential is, combating just bad faith attacks uh, on the industry and, and its good faith uh, proponents and builders, and um, and ha- taking a, a data and, and research-driven approach to what it's going to take to pass positive legislation, common sense legislation that you know allows the industry to thrive with some consumer protections and, for sure, and market yeah. structure rules in place. But that just gets us out of this regulatory morass where one unelected bureaucrat is able to steamroll an entire movement. Yeah, it's it's definitely a morass. I think that's the right word for it. You know, that that word, I don't know if this comes from it really sounds like molasses to me. And like there's an onomatopoeia aspect to it where it is. It's a slog. It's a sticky sludge, right, where we're stuck. Um, so I don't know. That's just an aside. So Ryan, for for our for our um, audience may not know one of the one of the things I I Ryan's been thinking a lot about market structure, right, and things like exchanges for a long time. One of the mm-hmm. things Ryan is was known for early was sort of blowing the whistle or sounding the alarm on Mount Gox. I guess almost ten years was it ten years ago at this point, probably. 
Um, is there a, is there a line from there to here? Like, is that how long you've been thinking about these issues? Because I also know one of Masari's early goals was also around disclosures and, um, you know, yeah. uh, so it, it, tell us like your story and how it gets you from even Gox to now. Like, is this all part of the same thing you've been trying to build in crypto? I think the through line is that I have a very low tolerance for bullshit. Um, and I've called balls and strikes for a long time and, and haven't always been popular at the time that I've called them uh, within different communities. Um, but I, I think one of the reasons I've been around for so long and still have uh, more than a few friends uh, in the space is, is because people always know where I stand uh, at any given time. And it's almost always uh, on the line of what is good for the long term of crypto is, is good you know, for the long term for society and, and for you know, the, the country, in, in the case of the U.S. and the fight that we're taking on now. Um, I think with Mt. Gox, there was a bunch of folks that realized that the exchange you know, was in trouble, you know, even months before it actually went under and, and, and before there was this you know, infamous bankruptcy document that I got my hands on. Um, but at the time, Mt. Gox was trying to keep things you know, under the radar and, and kind, of, uh, kind of sweep this under the rug. And they had this whole crisis strategy uh, plan for essentially obfuscating the fact that they were insolvent to their end users and slow playing kind of the, the communications plan for, for you know, how they were going to restart the exchange. And there's a bunch of like early investors, early insiders that didn't really know what to do with this information because they were either under NDA or they were afraid that if they blew the whistle that, you know, they were going to you know, get embroiled, uh, embroiled in some litigation or, you know, have, have something blow back on them. Um, and I was a couple months into the, um, the quote unquote industry at that point. It was just Bitcoin. It was, you know, like hundreds or thousands of us um, at the time. <laughs> there were dozens like of us. Now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dozens, dozens. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, you, you'll kind of see this as, as the through line. But that was kind of the first um, emperor has no clothes moment where uh, in many cases, I'm the only one dumb enough, uh, fine line between being dumb and brave, I guess, but, um, but dumb enough to, to basically blow the whistle and say, like, the, this exchange that's a massive part of the market infrastructure is insolvent to the tune of, you know, 700, 800,000 Bitcoin, whatever it was at the time. So just that that at the time was catastrophic. Um, and that's happened uh, at, at numerous times, you know, over the years, whether it's talking about ICOs, whether it's talking about the dynamics of, um, of Ripple and, and XRP and, and, and how they release that currency over time, whether it was talking about um, the, uh, the early ICO uh, movements and, and you know, some of the excesses there. Um, and then uh, in the other direction on the, on the regulatory state, right? So it's not just a partisan issue. I was very vocal about the Trump administration, in particular what Steve Mnuchin was trying to do at the 11th hour before the, the, the Trump administration was out of office in January of 2021 yep. um, in cracking down on, on you know, private transactions and, and you know, really having some of these owners potential restrictions on, on payments. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, over the summer uh, of 2021 with the infrastructure bills passage, that's when I think I and a lot of others woke up to um, just how badly we were going to get slapped around under this administration. So, um, I usually look crazy at the time talking about a, a lot of things, but I just my mind is uh, built different, and I guess I don't have the the same <laughs> wiring for um, uh, self preservation as, as as many others do. But when when I tend to see something that is hiding in plain sight and is just so obvious, but people are afraid to you know call it what it what it is or or, or tell the truth, um, that's traditionally been an uh, you know the type of controversial. 
uh, you know, situations that I find myself in where they're called controversial, but it's really just, you know, one person seeing a plain truth and saying, this is bullshit. Yeah. And more people need to start saying that this is so. Um, and then, you know, more often than not, I've been on the right side of that snowball. So um, I view this as just the latest, you know, incarnation, what we're doing with, with Digital Freedom Alliance. Um, I've been banging the drum on the regulatory excesses, uh, the bad faith of this administration in particular for two years. Mm -hmm. And only, you know, more recently um, have people, you know, whether you're a hardcore progressive, conservative or anywhere in between said, you know, we have to be like fighting this ruthlessly at this point, because this is about like, you know, it's an existential level uh, crisis for the industry in the U.S. Um, so we'll see if it's too little too late. But I'm I'm obviously very optimistic because I've just spent a lot of time, you know, more than I wanted to in D.C. the last couple of years for sure. But I don't feel like we're non-participating characters right now. I think that there is a needle that we can thread um, to get you know good legislative outcomes to curb the excesses and 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 really marginalize people like Gary Gensler um, and the other out of control regulators. And then you know come uh, twenty twenty four election and 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 twenty twenty five, we could find ourselves in a situation as an industry where. We have clear guidance on how do stable coins get regulated, how are banking relationships um, uh, insured and preserved between crypto and non-crypto companies, um, how are uh, crypto exchanges and custodians and these kind of market structure, critical market structure um, you know, players uh, regulated and how are consumers protected and, and, and how do we kind of abide by the spirit of, of all these existing financial laws that we have on the books. And then, you know, definitionally, like, how do we actually think uh, about how to bring decentralized networks and protocols to market um, and allow creators and, and you know, some of these upstart use cases to thrive? Yep. So um, I, you know, I've been called a tragic optimist by <laughs> by my friends or, you know, a, a realistic pessimist or whatever, whatever framing you want. But I, I do think, um, you know, uh, there there is so much potential for crypto and if folks are just uh you know courageous enough i think to to just be clear-eyed about the the good bad and ugly of where we are right now and just really fucking focus um on the task at hand for the next 18 months i think that we'll come out the other side stronger but it's you know success is not a foregone conclusion it's certainly not a straight line it never has been in crypto but it's it's, it's also not a foregone conclusion so i think about the next 18 months as the battle for the us um after which point we're either going to have a really vibrant ecosystem or, you know, it's going to be time to move abroad. Yeah. When you look at the other, you know, it's not just, you know, niche countries that are taking progressive frameworks to the next level in crypto. It's the European Union. It's the United Kingdom. Right. It's Brazil. Um, it's Hong Kong even to an extent now. Right. So and then you have China. Uh, there was that it was like a science and technology wing of the some part of the apparatus put out that web three paper right like last week or whatever which was i'm told by china watchers much smarter than i that that it was no, it is notable that it was allowed it may not mean that it's their new policy but that it wouldn't have even been allowed to have been published maybe a year ago so mm -hmm. we are at i think it's very clear we can as a country say and do whatever we want with crypto, but that isn't going to change the fact that around the world, um, many many jurisdictions are treating it like and building for it like it's the future of finance. Yeah, I mean that's right. I mean, the, I think there is 
There is a contingent within this administration and the financial regulators in particular that, you know, they're they're so certain of their position and the U.S.'s position that they're scoffing at the idea that some of this innovation could move abroad or that it would even be a negative thing if it did move abroad. Right. Right. I, I, th I think that the um, the false certainty that some of the financial regulators have that the U.S., is the dominant financial market, is you know, has the reserve currency, is the leader in tech, that it will always be so. Yeah. Um, and I think historically that's been a very dangerous line of thinking for any incumbent when you're talking about transformative technology. And I don't think that crypto is going to be any different. I don't think AI is going to be any different. So I, we, we have to have smarter regulators and more competent regulators than we do. Um, and we have to have more engaged law lawmakers than, than we you know, currently have yeah. um, in, 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 you know, when, it, when it comes to crypto. So I think there are positive steps in that direction on the legislative side, but we are we're in an all out trench war right now against, you know, one out of control bureaucrat in particular, arguably two if you count the FDIC chair as well. Um, but um, that's that's just going to be the, the, the ground reality for the next six, 12, 18 months, um, yeah. especially until we see some court rulings and, and some of these big cases like ripples and grayscales. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk a, a few specifics. Um, let's talk about some of these cases. Obviously, this week we had um, lawsuits filed against Binance and Coinbase by the SEC. I would say just on my first look, very, very different lawsuits, right? I mean, in, for mm -hmm. example, um, CZ is a named defendant and name mentioned by name maybe 190 times in, in the Binance suit, um, which also, in addition to lack of registration uh, allegations, contains allegations of fraud and, and misappropriation and commingling. The Coinbase suit, uh, Brian Armstrong is not named, and he's only mentioned once in the entire suit. Of course, it's just as the CEO of Coinbase. Mm -hmm. um, and it's solely about lack of registration. So it is a much different tone and vibe, but I think the Coinbase one is much more important long run for the industry in the U.S. Um, I don't know what, what dropping these back to back days like, I mean, is this and this is going to have to get resolved in court. We, we don't really I don't really expect either firm to to really settle um, at this point. I don't expect that. So I don't know. How do you think these play out? That's a big question. But, you know, what? What's your take on on both the SEC bringing both of these and at you know right at this time and um, how do you think this ends for those uh, those cases? <laughs> well, I, I think the SEC has basically got us in a chokehold as an industry in the U.S. right now, um, and we can break out of that chokehold um, only through the twenty twenty four election, quite frankly, um, because the chilling effect that this um, that these enforcement actions are going to have on the industry and, and just the, the the legal battles one after the other, kind of the full weight of the state um, mm -hmm. coming nonstop. Court cases just take time, right? Um, and so we are we are unfortunately not going to have much forward momentum um, unless and until there is a bill that passes both chambers of Congress and is signed by this administration. Um, and we might not love everything that's in it, but that is like one thing that we can work on proactively and, and stay engaged with as, as an industry, or there's a change in leadership in the White House, right? Like the, mm -hmm. I mean, I would like to say that there's another way, but I mean, that we are, that is the situation that we're in. Um, and so folks 
in the industry that are in any position of leadership, um, whether you're on the investing side, um, the you know market structure side, if you're a, a, a DeFi developer, you know a, a, a protocol developer asset issuer, you really have um, no option but to engage in um, the McHenry Thompson bill that dropped last Friday, uh, that draft bill, and and see if we can work out common sense language that hits um, all of the notes that need to be hit from a policy making standpoint, right? So you have adequate consumer protections, you close certain loopholes um, that you know, might allow people to skirt around you know, US securities law. You create clear definitions for what does decentralization mean in practice? How are these um, systems governed? What, what are the rules for, for folks in the US who are, are participating in these ecosystems? You know, that either gets done well and, and the drafts tightens up and, and we make some forward progress there, or everybody is just in a trench until 2024. And then at that point, um, it depends on who wins the White House. But I, I would say, depending on who wins the White House and what that administration looks like, um, you're, you're talking about, you know, crypto existing in the U.S. or crypto not existing in the U.S. outside of maybe Bitcoin. Um, I... I, I Unfortunately, I truly think th those are the stakes right now, and um, that's not to uh, that's not to deliver like an anti-Biden um, White House message. Um, I personally don't think that he is actually going to run for re-election at this point. Um, the question is like, you know, what happens in the chaos of um, Biden and Trump are the front runners right now, but no one thinks that they're going to be the two nominees. Yeah. Um, and so I think all the more reason for us to change sentiment and try to educate as many potential allies, as many potential you know, contenders uh, for, for the presidency on, um, on what we're actually doing and, and why it matters. Uh, Ryan, you mentioned Bitcoin. You think outside of Bitcoin, we think that um, you know, there's nothing really in these suits, for example, that touches Bitcoin. It's the only one that Chair Gensler will publicly say is not a security, um, despite the fact that the CFTC has listed Ether futures as well. So, so but... The only one that Chair Gensler will say is not a security is Bitcoin. What do you say to Bitcoiners, um, you know, online, for example, who say, "Why should we care about this? Bitcoin's going to be safe. Like, aren't they only coming after the, you know, the altcoins? Like, what do you say to Bitcoiners who think that?" I think the Bitcoiners that are celebrating these enforcement actions um, tend to be later in the adoption curve and lower on the IQ spectrum. Um, than, than folks that actually know what's going on. I mean, you know, they're they're um, they're cultists, right? They're um, they're they're coming in and they're thinking about Bitcoin, you know, in, in religious terms. Nick Carter had a good, you know, kind of uh, mini thread on, on Twitter yesterday, and you know, he I think he he um, was accurate to a T. Um, you know, I've been full time working on general areas of infrastructure in Bitcoin and crypto for 10 years now. And when I go to a Bitcoin conference, I'm treated like a shitcoiner. And <laughs> when I go to uh, a crypto conference that's more broad than, than just Bitcoin, I'm, I'm treated like the, the resident, like Bitcoin maximalist. <laughs> and that's how I know I'm doing something right. And, and the truth is, like, you know, most of my um, investments are in Bitcoin and, and Ethereum, right? Right. Well, we, Masari as a company, does well when the entire asset class does well because... Um, you don't really need a data and research <laughs> platform uh, if you're talking about one or two assets, right? right. Like it's, it's really when this is an asset class and when you're kind of building um, infrastructure that is Bloomberg, but built on 
um, triple entry accounting rails, right? These blockchains and being able to parse them and, and, and all the information and, and the new novel governance structures and everything associated with it. Um, so I obviously have an incentive to see the asset class do well and to, to see this not just become a, a vassal of the SEC um, and, and you know, technology that is you know, bastardized um, and, and made you know, functionally un, un, non-functional. It's like uh, because neutered, it, because neutered it, basically. It's, well, it, it's neutered, but there's also, you know, you would essentially have to make the, the tech and the protocols worse. Right. Right. You'd have to you'd have to implement software that makes them all worse. Right. Uh, from a performance standpoint, from a governance standpoint, to abide by some um, well, that, security. Well, that's one of the trying crazy. to just analogize them. Yeah, obviously, the, you mentioned uh, the midnight room liking at the end of the Trump administration from Secretary Mnuchin, right? That was the FinCEN rule that was going to, I think it was the slippery slope. It, it wasn't going to ban, quote unquote, unhosted wallets, but it was going to add a bunch of privacy uh, destroying uh, KYC type information requirements on exchanges about them. Obviously a slippery slope from that to just straight up banning unhosted wallets. I'm mm -hmm. also sort of of the opinion that the chair of the SEC ultimately wants to basically end self-custody as well, that he thinks that it should, like when he talks about disaggregating um, the functions of the crypto exchanges, right? Such that custody and settlement and trading are separated. I think that's something most people like the idea of, right? We understand why it's like that in traditional finance and it makes a lot of sense. However, I think what a subtext that I'm starting to pick up on from this is that what he really thinks will and should happen in that world is that the cryptos enter a qualified custodian and never leave. It becomes mm -hmm. like the DTCC, and the, there's a lot of problems with that. <laughs> but you know, one of the main sort of at the highest level, that's thinking about these purely as assets and not as instruments that actually power networks that need to actually be used, right? Like we, they have to be bearer assets because they actually are they're they're actual tokens in the generic sense to power the machines, right? Like you have to put them into the machine. You can't just trade a paper IOU of them. That that that, and by the way, if you do, then like you said about degrading the blocks, is what made me think of this. You you basically have ended the blockchain. You've you've instead said, okay, let's just use a database for this thing, and it was really telling because the other day he basically said that he said we we don't need new money. We've got digital money. He he referred to the automobile industry as like something. He had that crazy quote on CNBC, right? So like he he actually I think does believe that you don't need public blockchains and that. He he actually wants to ring fence them and 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 neuter their assets, right? And that that's well, sort I, of what I'm I, hearing. That's sort of the subtext I'm getting from him lately. Well, I, I think that's because there is a wing of uh, the progressive movement that's all about control and um, basically, you know, government surveillance uh, and and kind of the ability to control and 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 watch every move that you make um, financially. Now they'll argue that that's not the case, and and you'll hear things like you know national security and and illicit commerce and and all that that always gets you know parroted and and trumpeted um, from crypto's critics. We can't have these privacy preserving technologies because they might be used by by bad guys. Right. Right. When when the reality is the most dystopian future that you can imagine is a U.S. government that has total surveillance and control over your of, over your financial holdings, um, and it's not a huge leap of the imagination to see how this can go sideways. If you look at what happened um, with the Canadian truckers strike uh, not too far north, just last year, the beginning of last year, and the way that um, people were being cut out of their financial system and like unable to access their savings for dissenting, right? Mm -hmm. um, that is in a quote unquote democracy. 
And the authorities looked at, at crypto as a threat to their ability to, to basically run roughshod over civil liberties and um, at a moment's notice, just cut people where it hurts the most in terms of cutting them off from, from their you know, financial uh, rails and their savings. Um, I, I think we talk a lot about um, crypto building a parallel financial system. And, and the criticism on crypto historically has been, you, you don't, like the financial system works pretty well in the US and in developed economies. And it's the, the result of you know, decades uh, or, or even in some cases, centuries of innovation. And the thing that I think we, we don't have a great narrative around as an industry is, well, it's a parallel financial system just in case everything that you leadership in you know, the Western democracies are doing just in case you completely ruin the economy, which you've been doing a pretty good job of if you look at like deficit spending, like no fiscal discipline. Um, just runaway entitlement spending. Like at at some point, it, it seems like everybody knows that things are going to come to a head at some point. You know, I'm not speaking crazy thoughts here. No. Most of the big macro investors of the world kind of think this right now. So whether you call it like the fourth turning or a, a sovereign debt crisis or a currency crisis, you know, what what have you, you don't have to look too far in history to know that that is possible. Um, not only possible, but but probable and, and on a long enough timeline, inevitable. So. What we're talking about when we think about a parallel financial system is a life raft, right? It's like an opt-out mechanism not to undermine um, the U.S. dollar or to undermine the existing financial system, but to make sure that if things go sideways or things get really bad, um, there is an alternative. Mm -hmm. um, and right now, this alternative is useful globally in markets that are already under significant stress. We've seen how, um, uh, how uh, prevalent... Crypto is in, in some South American countries, in some Southeast Asian countries, you know, in, in any realm where you have um, high currency volatility, low trust in governments um, and, you know, high potential for disruption or wealth confiscation. Crypto is already useful um, for certain marginalized classes of people mm -hmm. as a financial technology, you know, in, in those circumstances. And the question is, can we build robust enough infrastructure so that it, it can, you know, crypto can sustain you know, hundreds of millions, billions of people that you know, might face something similar in the future. I think the existing powers that be think about that and, in, in, you know, they're, they're terrified at the thought of, you know, could you imagine like the, the, the unwashed masses actually controlling like their own finance, finances and the, you know, and, and, and controlling their own money without the, um, the beneficence of the federal government. It's like, they're, they're just like, they've, the, the, the folks in DC have just been rewired to just think of themselves as the ultimate saviors um, of the, the middle, middle American, you know, family. And the, there's, there's no concept for how, how far out of touch um, folks in DC are um, versus where I think you know, most individuals are in the country when it comes to their ability to hold, let's just say cash, right? Hold cash, hold digital cash, hold gold, hold digital gold, whatever it is. Um, that is really the, the nuts and bolts of what I think we're fighting for as an industry. And then everything else is downstream of that, right? So um, all the infrastructure that we're trying to defend, um, all of the new kind of novel use cases around crypto assets, not named Bitcoin, that aren't trying to be money. They're just trying to be 
you know, some combination of like governance tokens, you know, financial incentives and, and kind of ownership um, tokens for, for some of these new platforms outside of a corporate structure. Um, that's all kind of secondary and emerging and like novel tech that with the right guardrails could be hugely, you know, promising and uh, you know, for, for many decades to come. But I come back to the core of, do you have the right to own your own money? Does, do you have the right to own, you know, ones and zeros that are just accounting ledgers that aren't under the direct control of the U S government or any governments? And to me, that is a very black and white issue that I think leaders in DC are not comfortable saying, um, that they hate and, and many of them do, right? Like, if you think about how crazy that is, that we've been able to meme into an existence, a trillion dollar asset class based on ones and zeros, where the only real value behind it is distrust in the governments to, to do what's in the long term best interest of the economy. Um, that's insane. Um, and like you can understand why, why, you know, some of our leaders don't necessarily like it. Um, but. This is the area, I know I'm spending a lot of time on this one point, but, the, but I think this is the area where we have the strongest leg to stand on when we're talking about defending the industry, because I think most people would agree you have the right to hold cash, you have the right to hold, hold and own your own assets without fear of seizures or um, unconstitutional surveillance from the state. And those are actually hard-coded in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights, and are some of the laws that we have on our side today. Um, if we can hold the line there, and if that is kind of our, our starting point for this conversation, then I think you solve 80, 90% uh, of the public policy problem in the US, and then we're talking about the 10, 20%, which is all the innovative emerging use cases. How can you develop safe harbors? How can you make sure that we just don't have the same fraud, abuse, and, and shenanigans that we saw in the last couple of years uh, on the token side of things, but um, at least give people the opportunity to also own their own, you know, decentralized uh, exchange tokens, their own decentralized like banking tokens, their own decentralized identity tokens, whatever it is, um, with their money being the first use case, but then, you know, all these other elements, you know, kind of follow, following after that once, um, once the, the infrastructure is a little bit more mature. I totally agree with your point, Ryan. I think that that, that is the core, the first issue, right, is the self-sovereign, the, the right to own your own money. And it does feel like the American government, sort. this is really exposing, I think, an authoritarian bent in American uh, governance um, that I guess we didn't really, it wasn't obvious that it existed until this innovation, until Bitcoin was invented and released that there actually was another way it could be done, right? I guess other than cash, you talk about cash as the example, right? But you can't hold your life savings in cash. I mean, that's just, it's too bulky, right? Like yeah. it's not it's not practical. It, it's really exposing though, the sort of frankly um, authoritarian nature of how the financial system works in the US, right? How it can be, there are all these pressure points and screws that authorities can, can use to totally change your entire the course of one's life, right? So I think those are the like the ability to just own your own assets, whether it's financial, your own data, your you know what whatever. I, I think is is ground zero for uh, all the conversations that, that that we're having on the on the legal and regulatory side. And again, that is not something that we can take for granted as a given. 
Um, because if you look at Mika and what's coming out in, in the EU, there yeah. are likely going to be some restrictions on like how much you can self custody and, right. and and what you know what you're able to do without kind of you know reporting to the government what you're what you're transacting around. Um, and I think you're going to have to make that debate in every jurisdiction. But in the in the U.S., at least you have the Constitution on your side and you have you know, 250 years of history on your side um, right. with that debate. Um, so I, I think when you extend further than that, the, the issue is 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 different in the sense that you're not necessarily talking about constitutional issues, but you're still talking about the rule of law, right? Um, no one in the industry wants to have this level of hostility with the re- with the financial regulators, right? No one in crypto right. in their right mind wants to just pick a fight with the SEC or the CFTC or the OCC or the FDIC. Like, no one no one wants to be in this position. On the flip side, there are zero Americans that are clamoring for perpetual confrontation between the government and businesses, um, you know, and, and this like endless litigation um, uh, environment that we're in between crypto startups, crypto, you know, innovators and, and the, the regulators. No one is asking for it. Um, but it's crazy to me that and, and I think a couple of people have picked up on this, but we need to kind of shout into the megaphone, right? Like Matt Levine at Bloomberg, who's, you know, I think maybe you'd agree, like the most brilliant financial writer like in the world, right? Money stuff. He writes every day. Money it's, stuff. It's he quality. writes every every day. He's, he's, he's often just, been quite, quite, I think, quite intelligent on crypto and crypto policy. He, he gets it at a very Not, deep yeah, level. I, he, I haven't he, always liked everything he's written, but he but he's good. He gets it. But he, he does. He, get by the way, it. he writes every day. It's impressive. It's, well, Money and, stuff and, is and, and he good. wrote he wrote an entire business week on crypto last fall that I encourage people should should read because it was it was incredible. Yeah, it was it was like a 60 page of everything you need to know, quote unquote. And it, it was, was great. It was and phenomenal. it was very good. It was it yeah. was phenomenal. It was plain English. But one of the things that he wrote last year was you know, Gensler says that he wants to regulate all of crypto and all of crypto should be under the SEC's umbrella and his strategy for regulating them is to ban them. <laughs> so, right. you know, uh, yeah, we're going to have a fight <laughs> because if 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 um, the financial regulators and policymakers are saying, I can't believe that the crypto industry, you know, whatever that means, first of all, but I can't believe that the crypto industry just you know, is, is so reckless and, 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 and lawless and operating in this no man's land. And, and, and they're just, they're comfortable with the status quo. And I can't believe that they won't just listen to the guidance that we're giving as, as regulators and, and benevolent dictators. And, and then you, and then you say, wait a second. Um, well, what, what they're really saying is we would like you to just stop existing. Can you please just stop existing? Can you please just stop doing everything that you're doing? And, (laughs) And and then and then you'll be in compliance. Then we'll be okay. Right. You'll, yeah. Then you'll be in compliance. <laughs> you know. So that's insane, obviously. And I think we need to be better as an industry about telling that story and and explaining. Look, we know that these are the parameters of existing financial law, existing consumer protection law. Here's what we as an industry have been doing to try to advance that. And here are the gray areas. And here's where we'd like to work with policymakers, whether you're talking about the legislative process or rulemaking on the regulatory side, this is where we would really like to clear definitions up, make sure that there's you know, sensible uh, retrofitting of existing rules, existing frameworks and parameters. Um, and, and let's make sure that that wraps around crypto, understanding what the tech unlocks and some of the new edge cases that, that are unlocked associated with it. This is something I truly believe this, Alex, you probably do too. Like, this is something where I think that if you took some 
rational staffers that understood the tech, that understood what we're trying to do um, technically in, in terms of making sure that the, this uh, ecosystem can exist and thrive in the U.S., and you took even like the most rabid, like hardcore libertarians in the industry and some technologists that are working on these solutions at the exchanges, the custodians or, or you know, the protocol builders, and you put them in a room, you'd probably be able to come up with a framework that makes sense um, in you know, a matter of a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the good news is I think we have a draft of that now in like McHenry Thompson. And now it's, I think, incumbent on, on actual leaders in the industry to go and praise the parts that are sensible, that are fair, even if we don't love some of the restrictions, go in, encourage you know, the process, and then try to make this as technically feasible as possible um, so that we are not just bitching about everything that comes our way, but actually understanding that like, if we want this tech to succeed, if we want you know, crypto to not just be this marginalized um, community, you know, going forward, then you know, we're, we're going to have to uh, actually have some of these tough conversations and figure out, you know, what what are the what are the rules of the road look like if you're a centralized entity, if you're you know if you're actually managing people's money, if you're you know um, if you stand to benefit financially from a, a massive airdrop or a you know massive token issuance, you know what what are the rules uh, for for those folks? Um, and it's just like every other debate in the country where you have like the ten percent of like hardcore progressives and authoritarians are like, no, screw these guys, let's ban it. And then you'll have like the 10% of like crypto libertarians are like, let's just build this, throw sand in the gears and then wait for the US to implode. And then, you know, and then everything will like kind of ma- magically- Hyper-Bitcoinization will come and, yeah. and we won't have to solve any of these problems. And then, but then yeah. you've got 80% of folks in the middle, they're like, can we right. just like flesh something out um, that's sensible and reasonable? And yeah, yeah. like we're, we're gonna bitch about the compliance burden. We're gonna bitch about the, the disclosures burden and, and, you know, argue about whether accredited investor laws are a good thing or, or you know, uh, just completely antiquated you know, system, which they are, but you know, we're not gonna change that. Um, rule in the US. Uh, you know, if, if we can just kind of get over that, that hurdle, um, I, I think we can, we can eke out some progress in the next 18 months, but, uh, the status quo, the, the status quo isn't an option. Like it, it's, it's, right. we're, we're gonna, we're gonna lose oxygen soon. Uh, if, uh, if, we, yeah. if we don't, if we don't, uh, start playing ball. No, I agree. It's, it's, we're, we're, like you said, we're in the morass of the court. We've got the courts and we've got nothing but the courts happening right now. Right. And, um, that's expensive. It's slow. It also, you know, I tell people, somebody was asking me about SEC Grayscale, and I was like, they're like, so if the SEC loses, like, that means Grayscale will get approved? I was like, oh, no, it doesn't mean that. In fact, it might not even, like, it's like the problem with with the with the legal system, not the problem, an interesting sort of problem is that the judgments can be extremely narrow or on technicalities or, right? Like, there's a way where the SEC loses in, but like Grayscale doesn't really win, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, yeah. And, th- and that's very possible, if not even likely in, in, in a lot of these cases. So even if we spend all the money and spend all the time and, you know, try these things in court, we still, and, and even if we get a ruling, it might not even be a ruling that is useful, right? So that is not something we can hang our hat on. We've got to act otherwise, which I think is really what you're saying here. We've got to get that sensible middle out here. And I, I mean, I agree. I think that's, very, very clear. I think you could get pretty much the the biggest anti-crypto consumer um, 
I mean, not the biggest, but the the right in there on the the twenty one percent, right? Not the not the bottom ten. Uh, sorry, the, like you know, the eleven percent or not the ten percent that just is a band hammer. You could get that consumer protection advocate in a room with a libertarian anarcho capitalist and and probably come up with something that makes a lot of sense. I think so. Um, I'm I'm hoping that what I like about the new Mc, uh, McHenry Thompson bill in the House is that it's by committal is that a word right it's 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 house ag and financial services getting together mm-hmm. which is rare actually um i would like it to be bipartisan but i think they'll get a at some point this is a discussion draft at some point when something's introduced they'll have bipartisan co-sponsors there are there are actually plenty of progressive democrats that are interested in crypto right i'm, I'm not going to name a bunch of you know politicians right now but like there are there are some in the house financial services committee there's there are U.S. senators who have spoken positively about crypto. Obviously, um, there's several that have had their name on bills that are positive for crypto in the Senate. Right, so there, I, I like it because it's so in depth. They've they've really just taken a swing at like every question, right? Like, and so now there's something. It, it is the definition of discussion draft. But now we've got to. You're right. It's just so long. It's such a long bill. I had just finished reading it. Somebody had a great meme, Ryan. It was like because it came out like last Friday or something, and. Um, it was like lawyers like just finished reading the 162 page bill and then it was like then like the 140 page binance like claim drops on monday and it's like that meme where like the face is like face hollowed is out off. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think it's our duty now though to really get out and speak at this point i mean you're right the end is we can't just sit back and and let uh this thing play its course like we've got to get on the field now it, it so it never really went anywhere but you know, I had actually spent a bit of time with like the the Bitcoin um, policy groups, uh, right. you know, a year year and a half ago. Um, come trying to come up with like a two line pledge similar to the Americans for Tax Reform pledge, yep. the, the the famous uh, Grover Norquist pledge, essentially like no new taxes. Yep. And it was very simple. It fits in a tweet, but it's essentially you know the right to hold and use Bitcoin and digital assets won't be infringed upon, yep. and the right to um, the uh, developments, contribution, and you know, just general innovation around Bitcoin and digital assets will not be unfairly impeded. Right? Yep. Two very simple sentences. Pretty fair statement. Yeah. Fair statement. A lot of a lot of things you need to work out around that. But going to the the two questions that we just spent a lot of time on, the one where I do think it's like a hard line in the sand. If you're saying we can't own Bitcoin, like middle finger right. time, right? And like right. we're we're going to go to war because. This is a, a constitutional protected civil liberty that we have for people to like own their own property. Um, and so, yeah, like we're going to have a problem with that if, if the government just pretends that the Constitution doesn't exist because it's in, inconvenient. Right. Mm. Um, the um, but the second prong of that, like unfairly impeded, is open to a ton of in- interpretation. Right. So right. that's the second question of like, OK, what should be the market structure regulations, how should we think about like assets that aren't quite decentralized, that have been issued, whether you've got a company or you've got a team that kind of starts this, you know, what are the oversight rules there? What are the rules, like, should we have safe harbors? Should people have to basically register as, as you know, public companies? Like, those are the things that get worked out in the, the legal process, but they're not necessarily constitutionally protected. It's like a delegated authority to Congress or, you know, uh, the states or, or however you want to define it, where they're going to create the rules and we need to be engaged in that process because that's sensible for the for the state to have some say in how we think about these new assets, given that we already have commodities laws, we already have currency laws, and we already have securities laws. We're clearly going to have digital asset laws. So what do those look like? Yep. Those are two related but, but very different things. And I think the tolerance threshold that we should have for government oversight 
needs to be more reasonable in the second bucket than in the first, right? The first is, if you're telling me I can't own numbers in my head, we're going to go to court, like, and, mm-hmm. and we're going to fight to the death on this, right? Because this is like just, a, it's a constitutionally protected um, right that people have to property. Um, if it's, you know, I want to be able to trade, uh, you know, meme coins and, and, air, and airdrop, you know, assets and then have them listed on a secondary exchange and speculate and day trade on them and trade futures on them. Uh, yeah, you have to assume that there's there's going to have to be a legal conversation and, a, and, and there's going to have to be some oversight of those markets because that's just the way that the world works today. And generally speaking, people are very much against government uh, unfettered surveillance and like their right to seize your property. But they're also very much for some light touch oversight of financial markets so mm-hmm. that you don't have um, you know, mass exploitation of, of you know, people that don't know any better um, and, and just you know, either theft or market abuse or, or whatever. I, and I think we have to just be like thoughtful and, 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 and realistic about what do most Americans, what do most people um, want to see? When it comes to uh, laws in their in their countries and, and particularly like financial laws, um, and and I, I think uh, it's it's a pretty clean split along those two issues. And very often they're getting I think they're getting muddied and and all of crypto is getting thrown out by the progressives, and you know the the hardcore libertarians are saying everything should be legal and like let the market decide. And and you know in in practice. Um, that's led to a lot of bullshit the last couple of years that has really set us back uh, in terms of trust, in terms of public sentiment. And um, it's just not good for society, right? Like it's not good to have stable coins blow up. It's not good to have, um, you know, rugs uh, for, you know, meme coins and, and then just kind of laugh at people for being idiots. Um, that's, that's not how you win long term. And it's, it's certainly not how you right. kind of bend society in the right direction. Um, not to mention how, how are you... Like we're worse than Wall Street on some of those, um, on some of those axes. Like, do do you want to right. be affiliated with a tech that's worse than Wall Street? I don't. Um, and uh, and I think some of that is washing out now, um, and that's a good thing. But now's our opportunity to stamp it out definitively with with common sense frameworks. Love it. Um, hey Ryan, before we wrap, tell our audience uh, where they can find you. Obviously, by the way, Masari.io I've been using for years. Mm-hmm. Um, great source of information and data for in the cryptocurrency markets. Tell us where to find Digital Freedom of Alliance. Uh, DFA, the new org that launched this week is join DFA, as in Digital Freedom Alliance, joindfa.org. Um, you can find out a little bit more information there. This is a complimentary advocacy group to the coin centers, the DeFi education funds, the blockchain associations of the world, but we're very much focused on PR, narrative developments, um, data-driven kind of research and, and messaging campaigns um, that are, are going to move uh, sentiment in D.C., that are going to move sentiment in, um, in key congressional districts uh, and, uh, and just tell a better story uh, in the aftermath of FTX and all the setbacks that we've had uh, from a, a, just a, a public awareness and, and, and public relations standpoint in the last six months especially. Very cool. Ryan Selkis. Thank you for being here, CEO, founder of Masari, chairman, and founder of the Digital Freedom Alliance. Thank you, my friend, for joining Galaxy Brains. Always a pleasure. Thanks, man. That's it for this episode of Galaxy Brains. Thank you to our guests, Ryan Selkis and Bimnet Abibi, uh, for a great episode. That's all we've got. Big stuff happening next week, so pay close attention. Until then, have a great weekend. 
Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email, read our content at galaxy.com research, and follow us on Twitter at glxyresearch. See you next week.